All right. Well, Jet here is our dog. I mean, look at that guy. It doesn't get much cuter than that, does it? A little puppy. And I show you this picture of Jet because whenever we see a puppy, you know, we always oh, smiles. We have good feelings. And maybe you didn't quite feel that way if you did your homework assignment and read Genesis chapter 38 last week, where we saw in Genesis chapter 38 that we didn't quite have that lovey-dovey feeling. Judah did some pretty awful things for like 20 years of his life, and it was kind of a tough read. It was kind of a, a hard read. It wasn't a very uplifting read, and so hopefully Jet will put you in a little better mood. And in that chapter, we couldn't help but be confronted and see the consequences of sexual immorality on Judah and on Judah's family. Judah was drawn to the pagan culture around him, right? He acted like, like a tourist in a strange land. He forgot his greater purpose. Joseph, on the other hand, is no tourist. He's an ambassador for the Lord wherever he goes, and we're going to see that today as Joseph lands in the household of a man by the name of Potiphar. And in case you missed last week, we started talking about Joseph last week, and where we left him is Joseph was being taken against his will for doing the will of his father, but he was take, taken against his will into the land of Egypt. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. He was betrayed by his brothers. They stripped him of his coat. Remember that? They kind of beat him, maybe roughed him up a little bit, threw him into the pit. Joseph was then sold to some Ishmaelites going by, slave traders, and was eventually sold as a slave in Egypt. And just to ensure that nobody would go and search for Joseph and go looking for him, they kind of faked his death. They took that robe and they put some goat's blood on it and they showed it to Jacob and said, Jacob, Joseph is dead. But as we read that initial chapter of Joseph's life, we, we saw that the chapter really wasn't about Joseph. It was really about God. The chapter was about God who's moving and orchestrating these events in the life of Joseph because what's going to happen is he's going to build Israel in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And Moses is going to be then, then be risen up to, to deliver Israel out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt. And it's God who's orchestrating these events so we could see something too. Remember that? We could see that a lot of events in Joseph's life point us to Christ, our deliverer. Christ is going to come and he, he has saved us through the cross. Just like Joseph will end up saving his brothers during a famine, by, a famine by giving them food. Well, this chapter 39 marks the beginning of Joseph's time in Egypt. And here's what we're going to see. Upon close examination, we're going to see that you, you might appreciate the fact that the ten men who plan to kill Joseph are not nearly as dangerous as the one woman who tries to seduce him. And that's the main topic of application this morning. How do we live as an ambassador for Christ in a world that's filled around us with sexual immorality? Additionally, we'll see that Joseph is never really alone in Egypt, and neither are we. So let's be begin by examining how Joseph lived as an ambassador in Egypt. And we'll start in chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. 
Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he had owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. So let's remind each other that these events that we see happening in the life of Joseph happened about 17 to 1800 years before Christ. At a time when Egypt was the center of the ancient Near East, of the ancient world. And here are some facts about Egypt at this time. Fact one, they were technologically advanced. Fact two, they had a powerful army. Fact three, they were very influential. We see Egyptian artifacts all around the ancient Near East from this time period. Fact four, they were very wealthy. And fact five, they were a corrupt, immoral people. Now... Technologically advanced, powerful army, influential, wealthy, very corrupt, immoral people. That doesn't sound at all like contemporary American culture, does it? I mean, maybe, maybe if we try real hard, we can relate to this situation. Well, anyway, in the midst of this twisted pagan land, young Joseph's 18. He's essentially like an 18-year-old living in the New York City of the ancient world. And the actions that we're going to read about here... And for the rest of the chapter, show us, they answer the question, how? How do I live like an ambassador for Christ in a fallen world? You know, today we've gathered for, what, an hour, hour and 15, maybe today an hour and a half since we had promotion of corporate worship. And that's great. But here the real question is, what does worship look like Monday through Saturday? So let me start to answer that question with this. If anyone could have justified a season of immoral behavior in his life, it could have been Joseph at this time. He could reflect back and think something like, where has doing the right thing ever gotten me? I mean, remember, his ten brothers were the evil ones, or at least they had evil behavior. And what's going on with them? God, they're in the promised land. They're getting married, having kids. And Joseph was doing the right thing. And where's he? He's a slave in Egypt. So let me pause and ask you, this question, have you ever wondered why, or has anybody ever posed this question to you? Why immoral people, like Judah, last chapter, they appear to succeed. Why? Do you ever, like the Old, prophet, test, uh, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, do you ever ask, why? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Jeremiah 12, 1b. Well, you can read the rest of Jeremiah 12 on your own, but believe it or not, God answers Jeremiah, and me paraphrasing, just a quick paraphrase, here's what he says, is, Jeremiah, you only think I'm unfair because you don't see the big picture. You just keep doing what's right and let me take care of the wicked in my own time. And at this point, Joseph doesn't see the big picture either. He just keeps on doing what is right. So we read, read in verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph, and yet he prospered. This means that although Joseph might have been strong and driven and smart, that's not why he succeeded, right? Joseph su succeeded because God was working through him. And that's best illustrated by our good buddy Jed again. See, 
Here, Jed is just a pup. Look how small he is. I mean, he's barely bigger than our hands. We had to feed Jet. We had to watch over Jet. When he went outside to go to the bathroom, we had to watch and make sure a big hawk or another bird of prey didn't come down and grab Jet. He wouldn't survive if we weren't there for him. And that's the idea behind the phrase we just read. Moses, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is trying to tell us that God caused Joseph to be successful because like Jet as a puppy, Joseph couldn't succeed on his own. Joseph trusted the Lord in a very difficult situation. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't try to escape Potiphar's household as a slavery. He just did what was right, and God blessed him for that. And that's where we can learn something from Joseph. And we can learn this, that worship isn't restricted to Sunday mornings at 9.15. We worship the Lord with our lives. We are his ambassadors in a fallen world. And one more thing before we move on. Did you catch the part about him being really good looking? I mean, don't overlook that. That's a problem for some of us, right? So don't look that over. I mean, let's read on and let's see the strength of his character as he dealt with the temptation. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not have concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. The first thing to keep in mind with this statement by Mrs. Potiphar in verse 7, come to bed with me, is that it's not a request. The verb in this sentence is written as an imperative. And before we take a closer look at that verb, let's take one last look at our good little jet boy. Because when you train a puppy, you don't say, come here, little jet, do you want to lay on your back? Or come here, little jet, do you want to sit down? Or hey, do you want to stop barking, please? No. What do you do with a dog? You command them. You say, sit, stay. Lie down, obey me, right? Those are imperatives. A Hebrew imperative is a command. Come to bed with me is a command. And we all know what that means. I share this just to illustrate that she is not mincing words here at all. She's commanding Joseph to, be, to do something immoral. So this is a very bad situation. It's sad. But it's not really the exception in life, in our life anymore either. It's becoming the norm because like Joseph, we're all confronted with opportunities or quote-unquote commands to behave immorally. And the question is this, what are you going to do when it happens to you? That's really the question. Will you respond like Joseph here in 39 and be an ambassador for the Lord? Or are you going to respond like Judah, 38, and just behave like a tourist passing through, sampling the culture around you. Joseph has a decision to make. He could say yes, he could say no. And before we read how this is going to play out and walk, let's walk a mile in his sandals, right, and just make a little list of pros and cons he might be thinking about. By the way, most people don't have this luxury, right, because in reality, the battle against sin in our life is won or lost long before we encounter the situation. So let's prepare now for what lies ahead. You know, Tina and I tried our best to do this 
with our kids. We laid out scenario after scenario ahead of time and, and asked, walked through those with the kids. Like, what are you going to do if there's alcohol at this party? Or what are you going to do if you're around the computer and whoever's on it calls up an inappropriate website, right? And then the list could go on and on and on. We wanted them to be ready for when they faced the situation, those tough situations in life. So back to Joseph. He had a decision to make. And in this scenario, we have to allow for the possibility, probably fact, that Mrs. Potiphar is an attractive woman. Because some historians actually argue that an attractive wife was the symbol of a powerful man in the ancient Near East, kind of like the trophy wife of today. Nothing much has changed, has it? And they believe this is why Abraham's wife, Sarah, was repeatedly described as beautiful in the Bible. And the captain of the Pharaoh's guard certainly fits that description as a powerful man. So this is a real temptation for Joseph. He created us with desires. He could have very easily just resigned his ambassador card, just turned that in and became a tourist in Egypt. You know, what happens in Egypt stays in Egypt. That could be going through his head. And speaking of God, if Joseph was making this list, he might ask, where was God when I was thrown into that pit? Where was God when I was sold into slavery? He might take God out of the equation and give in to Mrs. Potiphar. He could blame this whole situation he's in on God. And finally, he could realize that Things are going to be a lot easier for me if I give in to Mrs. Potiphar, and they're going to get a lot more difficult if I don't. Today we call that sexual harassment. Right? But Joseph didn't have the luxury of a human resources department in Egypt. right? He's not allowed to quit. He's a slave. He's literally being given an offer he cannot refuse, and that's why it's written as an imperative. Now, on the reasons not to do it side... Sin always has its consequences, right? Let's name a few. He could get Mrs. Potiphar pregnant while Potiphar's away, kind of like David did with Bathsheba when Uriah was away. He could get, we all know this, he could get a disease, right? He could lose his standing in the household with the household staff. He would have to possibly feel shame every time he saw Potiphar in the future, right? And on top of all that, that would affect his relationship with the Lord, just to name a few consequences that we could relate to. Now, whether or not all those things went through Joseph's mind or not, we don't know. But I sure hope you and I, we consider the consequences the next time we are tempted with sexual immorality. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3-5, through 5, we read, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Translation, you cannot be an ambassador of Christ while living a sexually immoral life. This is another one of those themes that we see begin here in Genesis and just run through the entirety of Scripture to the end, to 1 Thessalonians. Do not give in to sexual immorality. Therefore, Joseph, the ambassador, remains strong. Now, notice Joseph's decision to remain moral is not just like some arbitrary one, right? He doesn't, he's not a puppet on a string. He, he doesn't flip a coin and decide what to do. His decision is based on faith, his relationship, trust with the Lord. And in this passage, we're given indication of a couple reasons why. Number one. Joseph respects God's design for marriage here 
as one man and one woman for life. Joseph honors somebody else's marriage, and he's not going to cross that line. And the principle here is, even before the Ten Commandments are written, right, the principle here is, Joseph knew adultery was a sin. And therefore, if we want to live like ambassadors of God in a fallen world, we need to go and do likewise. Number two, Joseph loves his neighbor. Now, who's his neighbor in this situation? Potiphar. We talk all the time in church about loving those in the name of Christ of those around us, right? Love them. Love your neighbor. Well, here's the thing. Coveting somebody else's wife, coveting their husband, coveting their life, coveting their car, their house, or whatever, you can't accomplish that if you're doing those things. If you want to live like an ambassador for Christ in a fallen culture, we love our neighbor by respecting their boundaries. And finally, Joseph honors the Lord. In verse 9, we read this, that he describes this act proposed by Potiphar's wife as wicked and a sin against God. And so Joseph demonstrates something that I think you probably do too that's lacking in our culture. And that's a healthy fear of the Lord. Right? He is not going to give in and grieve the Heavenly Father. So if you want to live like an ambassador of Christ in a fallen world, then honor the Lord. We have similar choices to make every day. And sometimes worshiping God is just that simple. It's just running the, your decision through those grids. Am I honoring marriage? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I honoring the Lord? And if you can't say yes to all three of those things, then maybe you're not living like an ambassador. Now, was this an easy decision for Joseph to make? Probably not. Was it the right one? Absolutely. Was it over for Joseph? Not by a long shot. Joseph's going to go to prison for having some principles. So let's read on. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. I mean, this is kind of a crazy situation, really. I mean, nobody's home, right? Joseph's in a robe or some sort of cloak or something. She grabs the robe. He rips it off and runs. I mean, it just kind of shows you that just because you decide and choose to honor the Lord, that doesn't mean that people around you are going to respect your decision. So we have to see here that Joseph knows. He understands. He knows that he's not going to answer for what Mrs. Potiphar does. He will give account to God for how he responds to this situation, and Joseph chooses to flee. Running away from a conflict 
is typically associated with being a coward. But when this woman grabbed a hold of that robe, it was probably the bravest thing that Joseph could have ever, could have ever done. And, and later, in the New Testament, we read Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And I think Paul might have had this particular scene in mind when 1 Corinthians 6.18, when he wrote this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the that a man does outside the body, but he commits sexual immorality, sins against his own body. So let's just get practical for a minute. We're all Christians and Christ followers in the room. So the next time that you're flipping through the phone, right, and minding your own business, and you come across something that tempts you for sexual immorality, what are you going to do? Or if you're single in your room and you're dating, and even if it's the person that God, you feel God has chosen for you and it's going to be your mate eventually, what are you going to do if they say, let's take it to the next level? Or what are you going to do if they say, let's move in together? Guys, what are we going to do the next time we're around a bunch of guys and, and there's cooler talk and there's dirty jokes being said and it's just an immoral discussion? What are we going to do? Ladies, what are you going to do when you're married and an old boyfriend reaches out to you on Facebook? What are you going to do? Because we got, we're going to encounter this stuff in our life. It's a fallen world. Are we going to run towards sin like a tourist? Or are we going to abstain from it like an ambassador and flee from it? Well, Joseph flees. And as a result, he ends up in prison. And from what I can imagine, never been there, but from what I can imagine, any prison is no fun, especially if you're innocent. But before we go there, let's put our critical thinking caps on just for a moment this morning and just consider what could have happened here. How could have this chapter had ended? What might we have read? First of all, it's kind of strange that Joseph isn't executed on the spot, right? If anybody had the power to do that for a slave who was accused of rape by your wife, it was Potiphar, the captain of the Egyptian guard. But he didn't. Secondly, it's also kind of strange that Joseph, we, at least we don't read this, that he wasn't whipped or beaten. Flogging was very common in the ancient Near East for criminal, criminals or even proposed criminals. Third, research has concluded that Egyptian prisons were very, very rough at this time. Prison meant you'd most likely would die. They had slave labor. Build those pyramids. Build those monuments. They had to work in quarries and mines. It was very, very, very tough. But Potiphar put Joseph, do you remember where? In with the king's prisoners, political prisoners. It was certainly uncomfortable, but political prisoners. Remember next chapter, or keep in mind for next chapter, chief cupbearer, chief baker. Okay, This type of prison was a little bit different than the one I just described. They were kept alive for a while until their fate was determined. So, bottom line is this. Those familiar with the culture... Not necessarily us, but those familiar at the time with the culture would notice that God has delivered Joseph once again. And this passage reminds us that Joseph wasn't in Egypt by an accident. He wasn't in Potiphar's house by an accident. He didn't, it was no accident that, accident that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. It wasn't an accident that he wound up in prison. This is all part of God's plan. So therefore, God sustains Joseph. And we read, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. See, the conclusion of this chapter demonstrates that within God's plan for Joseph's life, Joseph was never alone. Now, sure, he was, he was by himself. He was away from his family. He was away from his friends. He's in Egypt, probably never been there before. Strange culture. Didn't know the language. That's always tough. So by our perceptive, he, perception, he was definitely alone. But was he? Was he really alone? You can go back later and look at it, but in verse 2, we read this, that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And in verse 3, we read this, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, the Lord gave him success. And then we just read in chapter, in verse 21, the Lord was with him, showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And in verse 23, we just read, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because, you know it, the Lord was with him and gave him success. See, serving like bookends, right? At the beginning, at the end of this chapter, Moses twice is reminding us. He clearly wants us to see that indeed Joseph is not alone. God is with him. God is the central character of this story. He's the mover. He's watching over the events. He's with Joseph. And after each one of those verses saying he's with Joseph, it says God blesses Joseph. Now, we know from our own life and examples in Scripture that that's not always the case. God was with Stephen. What happened to Stephen? Stoned to death. God was clearly with the apostles. What happened to the apostles? One by one, they were martyred. So, it's not always going to turn out like this, but in this story, it certainly did that God was with Joseph and he blessed Joseph. So what we need to just know is that in our situation, too, God is with us. In fact, he's very, very close to you, with you right now, is he not? Because in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, we read, we read this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, on this side of the cross, we have this unbelievable privilege of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, taking up residence in your body right now and in mine. I mean, God was with Joseph. We just saw that. Moses made that very clear, but he never lived inside of Joseph. You know, in the Old Testament in Judges, we read that the spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, the first judge, and the king of Mesopotamia was delivered into his hand. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and the Midianites, and, 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 and Gideon had a great victory over the Midianites. And in four separate references, the Spirit of the Lord came and rested on Samson. And Samson had, had unbelievable superhuman strength. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, never took up residence, lived inside of those men. 
We, we, we go through struggles in this life, like Joseph in prison, like Job, like the prophets, like John the Baptist, like Jesus, like the apostles. There's a suffering that comes from living a life that honors God. But now, thanks be to our risen Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, comforts us, and gives us power or strength to deal with life's struggles. And boy, if you want to pause on anything this morning and just take that in, that is amazing. God never told us it's going to be an easy path to follow him. It's just not going to happen. Following God led Daniel, where? To the lion's den. Following God led Isaiah to be cut in two while he was in a log. Following God led Jeremiah into a well. In a fallen world, following Christ comes at a cost. But whatever struggles you face, know God is with you. He is with you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, did Joseph see the big picture? Probably not. I mean, if we were to all go cram into the church van, you know, let's try it. That sounds fun. And we were to, we were to hold our nose or whatever and drive to the prison and talk to Joseph and say, Joseph, is God blessing you? He probably would not respond with, yeah, just look at the facts. I mean, God saved me from my violent brothers. He delivered me from my boss's crazy wife. He spared me from Potiphar's wrath. And he even made it possible for me to spend the rest of my life in prison for a crime I didn't commit. Hashtag blessed. No. He might not respond <laughs> like that, but he probably doesn't see it. He finds himself here in prison. And if you consider the pit from last week, chapter 37, the dry well, the cistern, as a type of prison. This is now the second time Joseph lands in prison for being an ambassador of the Lord. And consider, consider the irony here, this is also the second time his coat got him in trouble. But just like his story doesn't end in a pit in Canaan from last week, his story's not going to end here in prison either. He will continue throughout his life, to exhibit this God-honoring, ambassador-like behavior. And we'll be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. In conclusion, what can we learn from Joseph so far? We can learn this, that he had faith. He had remarkable, remarkable faith and trust in the Lord. He doesn't compromise with the immoral culture around him. Right? He, he refuses to. I feel Joseph didn't want to grieve God. He didn't want to upset the Lord. He loved the Lord. He said, no, this is wicked and a sin against the Lord. Not going to do it. And as a result of that, the Lord was with Joseph. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. What Emmanuel means is God with us. And this is what Jesus did. He came to earth so God could be with us. You know, we can't pull ourselves up to heaven. God had to come down and be with us, and he did that in the person of Jesus Christ, the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came into this world 
so that God is with you. He loves you, and he's continually for you. Jesus came so God could pardon our sins and clothe you with the righteousness of Christ so you could become a citizen of heaven. Amen. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, then you need the Lord to be with you. Jesus made that very clear in two passages, passages of Scripture, Luke eleven twenty three and Matthew 12, 30, when he said this, He who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. Friends, having Jesus, the Lord of the universe, against you, that's a very, 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 very bad place to be. You need the Lord to be with you. And for the Lord to be with you, you have to deny yourself, take up his cause and his cross, the cross of Christ, and follow him. And I pray that's the situation for your life this morning. And then whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether it's we're thrown in prison, whether we find ourselves in a very tempting, sexually immoral temptation situation, the Lord will be with you. He's inside of you, giving you strength to overcome.